Hello and welcome to the Path 11 podcast. We have a very interesting guest this week. We would like to welcome Robert Wagner, who is the author of the acclaimed book, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, and it's now in its ninth printing, and the recently released book with co-author Caroline McCready, Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple. Robert has been a lucid dreamer since 1975. He co-edits the online magazine, Lucid Dreaming Experience, at www.luciddreammagazine.com and offers month-long online workshops through Glidewing at www.glidewing.com. A past president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams, Robert has logged more than 1,000 lucid dreams and speaks at universities, conferences, and workshops internationally. He calls lucid dreaming a revolutionary psychological tool to explore the nature of consciousness. We're so excited to have him on our show today. Robert, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Mike and April. It's great to be here. Now, you, you've had a, a long history with lucid dreaming. Do you want to talk about how you got started in that? So about 40 years ago, um, I was a mystical young kid, and I was reading a book by Carlos Castaneda called Journey to Ixtlan. And in that book, his shamanic teacher, Don Juan, suggested to him that he try to find his hands in the dream state and realize he was dreaming. And, and this really uh, puzzled me, and I wondered who it was possible. And there wasn't a technique, so I just developed one. I, each night before I'd go to sleep, I'd sit in my bed, and I'd just look at my hands while I mentally told myself, tonight in my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. Tonight in my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. And after the third night, I was walking through my high school hallway when all of a sudden, just like they were spring-loaded, boom, my hands popped right in front of my face, and I realized I was dreaming. And at that moment, I became lucidly aware and had my first induced lucid dream, which was really a powerful experience that, that went on for quite a while and just totally got me hooked on lucid dreaming. Now, that's interesting how you use that uh, the look at the hands uh, to trigger the lucid dream. There's a technique I use where... And I've had a little success with it. It's, you know, you, you go a normal day awake during the day and you kind of go around, you just touch objects and say, this is physical, this is physical. And when you're in a dream, you kind of do that and you kind of like put your hand through a wall or something. You're almost like setting an intention in a way to right, right. keep the pattern going. And then when it's different, you, you kind of awaken your dream and you realize it. So... Why do you think that is? What? What? I, I don't know. Maybe that's a bad question, but oh no, that, that, that's a fine okay. question. Uh, you, you know, so so your approach uh, kind of sounds like a reality testing approach, and uh, and m my approach with finding my hands is kind of like a stimulus response approach, like behavioral conditioning or something like that. But but I think uh, part of the reason these kind of things work is what in dream science is called continuity theory, that what you focus on during the day continues into your dream state. And so if you focus on testing reality or examining reality during the day, then you're going to be much more likely you'll continue to do that in your dreams and you'll test and examine experience reality and likely, hopefully, become lucidly aware so, uh, so I think continuity theory kind of explains, uh, to some degree, what why these kind of techniques work. Now, I know that we have some listeners who are kind of new to a lot of the subjects that we are introducing to them. So, how would you kind of define, uh, before we go a little bit further into the lucid dreaming um, experiences and things of that sort, how would you define what a lucid dream is compared to a regular dream, whereas if somebody had never heard this term before, they might hear the definition of it and say, oh my gosh, I actually have had lucid dreams before. Right. So, uh, a lucid dream means uh, you realize within the dream that you're dreaming. Um, the, the American Psychological Association has a uh, more formal definition, which is a dream in which the sleeper is aware that he or she is dreaming and may be able to influence the progress of the dream narrative. So that's the formal de definition. But for most of us, just realizing within a dream that we're dreaming. So you think of a normal dream. So in a normal dream... You're driving a car that all of a sudden becomes a bicycle, that suddenly becomes a tricycle, and then a skateboard. 
I mean, just things happen. You just go along with it. You make a story. So you really lack critical awareness. But in a lucid dream, all of a sudden, when the car turns into a bicycle, you think, wait a second, what just happened there? You realize that something's wrong, that something impossible just happened, and you become lucidly aware. And as soon as you're lucidly aware, then the beautiful thing is you can consciously decide what actions you want to perform. You can seek out insights, do experiments, explore the dream, you know, and, and pretty much do whatever you want to do. And, and so it's, it's an incredible state when you become consciously aware of dreaming while in the dream. And what I find funny with dreams, at least for me in particular, is I, sometimes I have these outrageously unbelievable dreams. Some of them are super comical, like this would never happen in a million years. And we're so gullible sometimes that you just accept what played out. <laughs> but then there's times where uh, what, probably one of my first lucid dreams, I was in my office and I'm flipping through a stack of photos. And, you know, when you get to the end of the photos, you start, it loops around, you're back at the first one again. Well, the first one was different. Something had changed since I went through the photos. And it triggered something. I said, no, wait, I'm dreaming. <laughs> and then from there, I was able to actually kind of control the environment a little bit. It's true. Uh, it's, it's amazing how often uh, we'll have dream signs that don't prompt us to lucidity. Like... Uh, uh, I'm doing an online workshop right now with Guidewing.com, and a woman the other day said um, the first strange thing that happened in her dream was she saw her cat, and her I think her cat's deceased, and so that should have triggered her lucidity. Then all of a sudden she saw a monkey come into the room, and that should have triggered her lucidity. And then it started raining peanuts outside. So imagine looking outside and it's raining nothing but peanuts. But in her mind, she thought, oh, it's raining peanuts to feed the monkey. So she made up this story, and she couldn't believe that she didn't become lucid, you know, in this kind of dream. But, but I think a lot of times when we start on this practice of lucid dreaming, actually our, our larger awareness, our inner self, is actually trying to help us. It's trying to give us totally bizarre dream signs that ought to prompt our lucidity if we had any awareness at all. And so a lot of uh, a lot of lucid dreaming is just enhancing our awareness, being more aware during the day so we can be more aware at night and in our dreams and become lucid. And you recommend dream journaling uh, when yeah. you wake up in the morning? You know, you, you really have to get into the habit of the first thing when you wake up, what was I just dreaming? Because uh, dreams are a little bit uh, ephemeral, and if you don't capture them, you know, in that first 15 or 30 seconds, sometimes it'll totally disappear. And and actually, I've realized that I've forgotten lucid dreams. So I've had a lucid dream, and then two or three hours later, I'll be doing something, and I'll remember, oh, wait a second, I dreamt about that. Oh, I even became lucid in that. So so even though I've had a thousand lucid dreams or so, I, I do note that on occasion, you can even forget a lucid dream if you're not careful. So keeping a dream journal is a great way to develop that ability to remember your dreams and also to insert your intent to become consciously aware in the dream. Now, you have uh, two great books here. Uh, one is Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple Tips and Techniques for Insight, and then Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self. The, the one book looks like that it's really aimed at beginners to give these tips and techniques of how to do it. So, um, can you give a couple of examples for people that are trying to become lucid in their dream state of what they can do maybe to enhance the experience or to kind of get there quicker and have this experience happen? Yeah, so um, in the book, I give up probably a dozen, dozen different techniques that you could use to become lucidly aware. Um, one technique uh, I've just mentioned is the one of looking at your hands before you go to sleep with the intent while you mentally suggest, tonight in my dreams, I'll see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. And, and the thing that I like about that technique is you just do it for four or five minutes before you're ready to fall asleep. It's kind of the last thing on your mind before you fall asleep, your intent to become lucidly aware. And it's something tangible you can do. And then all you have to do is in your dream state, when your hands pop in front of your face, you have to realize, oh, this is a dream. I, I remember uh, I was out in Los Angeles giving a talk, and a gentleman told me that he had a lot of success with that technique. And in fact, one time his hands popped in front of his face, and he didn't immediately get it. 
And then the hand started slapping him in the face until he became lucidly aware. <laughs> so, 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 so you can realize how fun that is. Uh, another woman uh, who was in San Francisco, she told me that she was doing this practice each night of looking at her hands. And her husband came to bed and asked her what she was doing. And she explained kind of the basis of the technique. And that night, in his dreams, his hands popped in front of his face. And he realized he was dreaming, which actually kind of upset his wife because she'd been practicing for a week or so. But but the important thing about this technique is you just have to do it every night. Just do it five, six minutes a night. Sometimes during the day, look at your hands for a moment thinking, oh, tonight my dreams, I'm going to see my hands and realize I'm dreaming. But other approaches people can do are just simple suggestion. Like if, if, you're, if you find that you're easily hypnotizable or very suggestible, you could do something like before you go to sleep, just repeat over in your mind, Tonight in my dreams, I'll be much more critically aware, and when I see something strange, I'll think, this is a dream. So tonight in my dreams, I'll be much more critically aware, and so when I see something strange, I'll think, this is a dream. And that's, that's what we're, we're trying to do, is elevate your critical awareness uh, using that technique, because bizarre things happen almost every night in the dream, and if our if our awareness is elevated, then we'll stop and think, well, wait a second, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, j just like Mike was talking about the photos, you know, when you get to the end of it, it should be the, you know, the very first one should reappear. But uh, if you're critically aware, you'll pick that up. If you're not, it won't. The, the third technique, uh, you know, there's some wonderful ones like uh, the wake back to bed technique, which um, Stephen LaBerge and others have actually done scientific studies on. But basically, in that technique, you wake two or three hours before you normally would wake. So that might be four in the morning for some people. You stay up for 15 or 30 minutes. You know, what I'd suggest is read about lucid dreams or think about lucid dreams. Um, I wouldn't turn on a whole bunch of lights, you know, because what you want to do then after 15 or 30 minutes is fall back to sleep. And in these scientific studies that they did, they found that people were five to ten times more likely to become lucidly aware after they fell back asleep uh, doing this kind of technique. So, so those would be some kind of introductory techniques that a person could use to help them become lucidly aware. Yeah, I've had some uh, good success with that last one where you do wake up in the middle of the night, you know, for half hour or so and you go back to sleep. And the problem I have, though, is that sometimes I'm just too tired and <laughs> I, I can't really get into it it's like no no maybe maybe i'll do it some other time i, I, I just need to sleep right now yeah yeah that, that, that's the thing uh, uh for, for a lot of us lucid dreamers uh you, you got to kind of make it a special occasion especially if you're going to do the wake back to bed uh, technique where you wake up early so it's something you might want to do on the weekend or on a holiday or something like that when you have some time to uh play around with dreaming okay now also uh what would you say to somebody who says that they've they've never remembered a dream. They don't even think they dream, uh, had a dream that night. I, I've come across that uh, with a few people that, no, I can't remember ever having a dream in my life. Right, right. Uh, you know, I, I was out in Colorado one time uh, giving a talk, and, and a young guy uh, raised his hand and said that he hadn't remembered a dream in 10 years. And, and I just looked at him and I said, well, what happened to you 10 years ago? And he thought about it, and he realized, oh, his parents had had a horrible divorce when he was 16 years old. And so I told him, you know, that sometimes, uh, because of nightmares and, and other things going on in our dream life, we just, on an inner level, decide not to remember our dreams anymore, to, to kind of self-censor them, just to stop the dream recall. And so I told him, look, if, if you want to dream again, just uh, before you go to sleep, tell yourself... Uh, Hey, self, I'm ready to re remember my dreams again. I'm ready to allow myself to remember my dreams again. And the next morning I saw him, and he was literally dancing when he saw me. He said he told himself that suggestion. He said he, he fell asleep, and all of a sudden it was like a slideshow of like 10 years of images, of dream images that were just popping you know, into his visual field. And he said he spent the whole night seeing all these images, like 10 years of dreams that he'd missed. But he was so happy that he could dream again. So, so for some people, that, that's what's going on. Uh, there's other people who just 
devalue dreams. You know, dreams are fantasies, dreams are stupid, dreams are the mind in psychosis or whatever. And, and so they, they've just devalued dreaming so much that they just have decided not to remember. And, and again, those people, if they just suggest, if they get into the practice, they can. And finally, you know, there's a lesser case of some people might have medical conditions like sleep apnea or they're taking some medication uh, which actually might inhibit their dream recall. But, but normally for most of us, all we have to do is get into the game, get interested in dreaming, uh, suggest to ourselves to recall our dreams, and, and we'll be back in the game soon. And with uh, lucid dreaming, uh, I've been watching some of your YouTube videos or videos that you were in, and you have a slightly different approach to lucid dreaming where you just go right to the heart of the matter and you kind of just ask, or you go up to a, a, a being in the dream and you just say, what do you represent? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because you, you do a really good job in the YouTube video about that. <laughs> I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, you know, um, so I've been lucid dreaming for 40 years now and had a lot of time to explore. And, and at first I just thought it was fun. I mean, you could fly around, you could go through walls, you could go underwater, you could do all sorts of wild things. But, but after a while I realized that, that there's actually much more to lucid dreaming because uh, it would show us things about the nature of dreaming. And one thing that I discovered was that all dream figures are not created equal. That there are some dream figures who you'll ask them a question and they don't have any response. Uh, some will respond with gibberish. But there's other dream figures who are very aware and can give you excellent responses. And so that's why I always tell uh, new beginning lucid dreamers, ask open-ended questions. So when you come up to a dream figure, don't say, do you know I'm dreaming you? Because oftentimes the dream figure will reply, how do you know I'm not dreaming you? <laughs> and that that's happened to a number of lucid dreamers where the dream figure says, look, you know, I might be dreaming you. And uh, one dream, one lucid dreamer said, well, well, look, I can fly. And then the dream figure said, well, look, I can fly too. And and so, so you have to realize that dream figures vary in their levels of awareness. And so you have to be a little bit careful and ask open-ended questions. But, but after 10 years of lucid dreaming, I was part of a dream group where uh, one month we had the goal to become lucidly aware and find out what a dream figure represents. And uh, so I became lucidly aware. I went up to a dream figure and I asked him, excuse me, um, but what do you represent? And the, the funny thing that happened was, instead of the dream figure responding, a voice from above him boomed out a partial response. And it didn't make sense, so I asked for clarification and then it boomed out the full response that made sense, and I woke up. And so after that, oftentimes, instead of talking to dream figures, I would actually ask questions of this non-visible awareness behind the dream. And, you know, I, I just would ask it questions like, show me something important for me to see, uh, or ask it conceptual questions. And, and I was stunned that this awareness behind the dream really has, is actually probably the most creative thing in the lucid dream. But of course, it's something you can't see. So you just kind of have to take it on faith and shout out a question. And a good one for beginners would be, hey, dream, show me something important for me to see. So, so this whole issue of dream figures and the awareness behind the dream, it's a fascinating area to study, uh, especially for people who've been lucid dreaming a, long, a while and uh, understand the basics and want to take it deeper. You also uh, mentioned earlier about some scientific research, and I really love when science can come into play with some of these experiences to show that there is validity, and was wondering if you can talk a little bit more about some of the scientific research with lucid dreaming. Um, I was also interested in one of the things that I had read on your website about how you can possibly use some of the lucid dreaming to halt reoccurring nightmares in PTSD and other areas. Um, you know, my work of trade is mental health counseling, and I oftentimes do have a lot of clients that come in or that have PTSD or reoccurring nightmares or really crazy and strange dreams, and they'll ask me, well, what do you think that meant? But I would like to hear more about some of the science behind the lucid dreaming, if you can share a couple of things about that. 
Yeah, you know, uh, it's a it's a beautiful story of uh, of this ancient spiritual technique, and so lucid dreaming has a long, vast history as a spiritual technique in Tibetan Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism and Sufism in uh, various uh, native shamanic practices. But but back in the 70s, uh, at the University of Hull in England, uh, there, Keith Hearn was a graduate student who was studying dreams and sleep. And uh, he had heard about lucid dreaming, but he wondered, how could you scientifically validate that? And then it occurred to him that in the sleep state, when we're dreaming, we normally have rapid eye movements. Our eyes flutter back and forth. And he thought, could a lucid dreamer, someone consciously aware within the dream, move their eyes left to right eight times and therefore signal that they were consciously aware in the dream and he would have it all recorded on the rapid eye movement polygraph pad printout. And so in April of uh, 1975, a lucid dreamer he brought into the sleep lab, Alan Worsley, he was the first person to signal his conscious awareness within the dream. And there were other measures that showed that he was in the dream state, in the sleep state. Also, uh, Stephen LeBurge uh, separately came up with the same idea at Stanford in 1978. And using himself as a subject, uh, he brought himself into the sleep lab and he signaled with his eyes that he was consciously aware within the dream. So, so that's how the, the science came to accept the validity of lucid dreaming. But, but the beautiful thing is there's been a fair amount of research since then. Uh, there could always be more as far as I'm concerned. But there's been a fair amount of research on how the practical uses of lucid dreaming. And, and one of them is this idea of helping people who have PTSD or helping people who have recurring nightmares. And recurring nightmares is one of the most prominent uh, symptoms of PTSD. And so... Uh, what they realized, and I think the first study was in 1982, uh, a therapist, uh, Gordon Holliday in Ohio, uh, he was dealing with a person who had recurring nightmares, and he told him, look, as soon as that recurring scenario happens, I want you to realize that it's a dream, that you're having a dream, that this is a recurring scenario. And all that I want you to do when you become lucidly aware is just change one thing in the dream, just one thing in that nightmare and see what happens. And, and what he discovered back in 1982 was people who just changed one thing, you know, the, they changed the color of the wall or they changed a book or moved something in that recurring nightmare, normally the recurring nightmare would totally cease and the people would return to normal sleep and, and we're just very grateful for that. And so since that time, there's been various studies on using lucid dreams to stop recurring nightmares. And basically, that's what everyone finds is change one thing, become lucid, and that basically ends it. Uh, what's funny, though, is sometimes the lucid dreamer will will ask the nightmare figure that's chasing it, why are you chasing me or what do you represent? And, and sometimes they'll get incredible insights into, you know, what, what the issue is all about. But... Uh, the, the beauty of lucid dreaming, though, is it's a revolutionary psychological tool. And so you can use it for more than just PTSD. Already, uh, lucid dreamers are using it to deal with phobias, like the fear of flying or the fear of snakes or the fear of insects or the fear of public speaking or the fear of heights. People, lucid dreamers, are reporting incredible success with overcoming phobias by working in the alternate virtual reality of the lucid dream. Also, I have examples of people who used it to uh, rid themselves of anxiety, of generalized anxiety. And um, there's a great story lately in, in a book by Charlie Morley where a gentleman, uh, he overcame his uh, uh, smoking habit uh, in a lucid dream. Um, what, what happened there, and I found it just utterly fascinating, uh, that the guy became lucidly aware, and he noticed in his lucid dream that a woman kept following him around. And so finally, in the lucid dream, uh, he asked the woman, who are you? And she responded, I'm your brain, and I've come here to ask you to uh, stop smoking because it bothers us. And so the lucid dreamer had to think of how to respond. And so he said to the woman, the representative of his brain, he said, well, look, uh, every time I've tried to quit smoking, I always have cravings. 
but if you can stop the cravings, then maybe I can stop smoking. And she responded, well, we'll see what we can do. And the gentleman, his name's Antonio, he, he reports that when he woke up, he had absolutely no interest in smoking. And in fact, he could hang out with smokers and had no interest in smoking. And, and so you can see how when you're at that deep level of the subconscious mind, you can powerfully affect your emotional state, your psychological state. You can resolve bad habits. And I think that's what people should understand, that lucid dreaming has incredible use and depth to it. And it, it could help us also just for the field of psychology, just understand the nature of what the subconscious is all about and, and actually the whole nature of the psyche. Great. Thank you. You know, I've never even thought about combining the two in my practice with, you know, I, that I deal with all of that stuff that you just uh, described with many of my clients. So I think I will definitely be introducing some <laughs> lucid dreaming and recommending some of your books because that that's just fascinating. I never even thought about putting the two together. So, oh, you know, what's interesting is uh, a lot of times online, you'll get these wonderful stories of people who used it to overcome phobias. Uh, like a woman wrote me and, uh, said she had a fear of flying and wanted to come to the International Association for the Study of Dreams conference, but just had such a great fear of flying that she didn't think she could make it. And uh, so, so I told her, well, why don't you do this in a lucid dream? When you become lucidly aware, go to the lucid dream airport. And if you feel okay and everything, you feel all right, then get on a lucid dream airplane. And if you feel all right, because at any time you want to, you can end the lucid dream. But if you feel all right, let the lucid dream airplane take off and see how you feel. And she told me that she did that about five times. And after the fifth time, she realized that she no longer had a fear of flying. And in fact, uh, when she woke up, she purchased a ticket and she purchased a window seat so she could watch the earth as she, you know, like she wanted to see if it would be like her lucid dream when the lucid dream airplane would take off. And so in waking reality, uh, she bought the ticket, she flew to the conference and told me she had absolutely no problem uh, with flying. Uh, but but you have other stories of people who had a, like a fear of insects. Uh, one woman, what she did, she shrunk herself in the lucid dream. She shrunk herself down to the size of a cockroach. And then she had a conversation with a cockroach. And she said they had such a nice conversation that she got over her fear of insects after that because she realized, you know, they're just creatures going about their world and going about their day doing their thing and there wasn't you know they didn't have any personal uh, vindictiveness towards her and so it's, it's beautiful that you can take some of the ideas of psychology like gradual exposure to a threatening object and just bring it into the lucid dream state as a as an idea to try and, and oftentimes it'll resolve the issue uh, within a lucid dream or two i, I wanted to go a little bit further um you you kind of well, after 40 years you, you've kind of started to break down the dream and go a little bit beyond the dream is that right yeah i'd say so i i think uh you know i i've taken lucid dreaming i think about as far as it can be taken and in fact i've even tried to go beyond lucid dreaming so, so i've taken it quite deep you want to talk about going beyond a little bit well what what happened to me um so after 10 years of lucid dreaming in 1985, that's when I first encountered this awareness behind the dream. And so, again, all you have to do, stop whatever you're doing and just shout out a request, like show me something important for me to see. Um, I remember reading that Rebecca Turner, Rebecca Turner, who uh, heads up uh, the world of luciddreaming.com website and forum. I, she, she told me that, that she wasn't a little, she was a little bit uncertain about this. And so what she did, she shouted out, Hey dream, show me something hilarious. And she said, all of a sudden coming down the road was this uh, groovy looking gorilla kind of thing that was like covered in shag carpeting that was purple or something and had this kind of groovy, crazy walk. And she, she said she just started laughing hysterically because it was, it was so incredibly funny. But, but, but what the important thing was, when I began to interact with the awareness behind the dream, you could ask to experience conceptual information like, hey, dream, let me experience unconditional love. 
I've had people tell me that they've done this multiple times and just had mind-blowing experiences because they begin to experience on a deep level unconditional love. Uh, One woman in London who heard me give a talk, she did this. She said that after the experience of the lucid dream, she woke up and she said she just cried tears of joy for about 15 minutes because it was so profound what what she had experienced. But but what this did for me uh, back in 1985, it kind of set me on a different path for lucid dreaming. And I began to see that the lucid dream was in many respects a representation of my beliefs and expectations, uh, my focus, my intent, my will, and, and this larger awareness because, you know, obviously there's, there's something more than just me and the lucid dream. And so uh, I decided around 1995 that I should try to go beyond lucid dreaming to try to understand, you know, what, what is the true nature of reality. And so at that time, as I was trying to go beyond lucid dreams, the the first thing that I noticed that was strange is one night I fell asleep, and the entire night it was nothing but blue light. So so uh, just imagine like the the sky on a bright day, you know, a bright sunny day. It was is like that kind of light the entire night, blue light. And, and I woke up and I looked at my dream journal and thought, well, gosh, what do I put in my dream journal? Blue light. I mean. Nothing at all happened. There is no me, no action, no plot, no symbols, just blue light. And, and so this blue light began to occur on occasion. I remember one morning uh, after it had occurred, I, I went down to the breakfast table, and my wife was there, and, and she asked me, what, what's happening to you? And, and I asked her why she had asked, and she said that she woke up in the middle of the night. She said she looked at me, and she said she'd never seen a face in such utter bliss. And, and I told her I'd, I was having some strange experiences because I was trying to go beyond lucid dreaming and discover the actual nature of, of, of reality. But but what happened after that, uh, I, I had this incredibly bizarre uh, lucid dream where uh, two beings brought me through this really odd space and dropped me off at this kind of I'll just call it a temple, for lack of a better word. It's just a structure of, of white. And as I was walking around this structure, I turn a corner, and all of a sudden there's a being uh, that's composed of blue light. So, so imagine a being who's about 15, 16 feet tall, and it's just composed of blue light. It had a little uh, white cloth that kind of ran up it and had a trident in, in its left arm. But uh, I, I just started laughing because, you know, I didn't know, is this a blue light god? Is this a blue light monster? Because I, I could actually see through it. I mean, that, that's what I mean when I say it was composed of blue light. And so I decided to uh, try to get beyond it because that's what Carlos Castaneda always did whenever he'd meet these kind of uh, gatekeepers uh, as he progressed deeper into lucid dreaming and all. And right as I ran up to it and tried to got, get behind it, all of a sudden, there's this incredible explosion, and literally, when I woke up, I felt like every cell in my body had been changed. Um, after that, I mean, it was many years after that that I read the Dakinis, which is kind of a Buddhist term um, for, for sky gods. Um, in the Lotus Sutra, there is a little note that said, oh, Dakinis in traditional Buddhist thought are normally about five meters high, so they're about 16 feet high. But, but of course, at that time, I had zero interest in Buddhism and, and I never even thought about the, anything similar. But what happened after that, I, I had a strange experience where basically the experience of non-duality ha- happened. I, so if you can imagine awareness being aware within awareness, that's the experience that happened. And all of a sudden, that experience ended, and I found myself standing uh, next to a man in a robe. And, and I asked him, what was that? Was that a lucid dream? And he said, oh, no, to enter a lucid dream, go here. And I stepped into that space, went through a giant tunnel of blue and white light, and finally popped into a lucid dream. But, but so when that happened in 1995, I had never, ever heard that you could have an experience of awareness 
within awareness, you know, this experience of non-duality. And uh, it was only three years later when I was at an International Association for the Study of Dreams conference, um, the Tibetan Buddhist teacher, uh, Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche, came. And he said, oh, the, he had just written a book, The Tibetan Yogas of Dream and Sleep. And he said, oh, the goal of dream yoga in the Tibetan Buddhist system is an experience of clear light, uh, an experience of non-duality, an experience of awareness by awareness itself. And, and I, I was just totally stunned because um, you know, I'm a guy from the Midwest. Uh, I've been lucid dreaming for 20 years, but it had never occurred to me that, that there was a goal of lucid dreaming. And according to the Tibetan Buddhist system, this dream yoga goal of non-duality was the, was the goal of it. But uh, it, it was really an utterly fascinating uh, path. I kind of bushwhacked my way there, but, but uh, I, I really truly had a deep intent to find the nature of reality. And so for those people who are deeply exploring lucid dreaming and, and want to take it to its deepest, I mean, that's where you have to go. Um, one final thing, and then I'll be quiet here. Is, um, the thing that helped me, though, is I realized that the dream state and the lucid dream state and even waking reality itself was, was related to the contents of my mind. Uh, so, so in a lucid dream, you see it. If you expect something, then it's likely to happen. Or if you believe, you can fly, then it's easy to fly. And, and it's much the same way in waking life and, and just all experience reality. And so, so the night before that non-dual experience happened, my larger awareness uh, basically told me that if I wanted to go the entire distance, that I might cease to be. And, and I, I think it literally was trying to get across to me that, that I might cease, that, that this Robert construct might totally come to an end. But I told it, I go, look, I don't mind if I totally cease. I have to understand the actual nature of things because otherwise all this reality stuff will, will just be some tragic comedy. And, and because I knew that there was this larger awareness that you can interact with in the lucid dream state, the awareness behind the dream, I, I knew that this Robert thing was a construct of a, of a larger awareness. And so because of that, I, I knew I could let go and, and totally cease my own mental projections and allow whatever to come to come. And, and that, that was the night that the experience of non-duality happened. Well, I, I probably have, but I, I haven't processed it the same way, this non-duality, the way you talk about it. And would you call that like an out-of-body experience? Are you in the an astral world or are you still in your mind, I guess? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I definitely wouldn't call it an out-of-body experience uh, because it's not an out-of-body experience. I've had lots of out-of-body experiences. And, and it's not the void, which sometimes uh, lucid dreamers find that when a lucid dream ends or collapse, they'll find themselves in this kind of sparkling darkness uh, where nothing visually appears, and, and, and we call that the void. But the void is not the non-dual space because still there's a you experiencing something. Uh, there's a Robert experiencing the void. In, in the state of non-duality, it's an experience of awareness experiencing awareness. And uh, there's no sense of identity. There's no me, you. There's no relationship. There, there's actually even no feeling because feeling involves a relationship. What there is, though, is knowing Knowing exists, but, but nothing else. There's aware knowing. There's aware knowing within aware knowing. And so it's not an out-of-body. It's nothing like that. It's, it's a really a far-out state. And have you encountered that again since that, that time? You know, you know uh, I, I haven't had a similar experience. Um, the one thing, though, having that experience, you know, back in 1995, I, I thought – Perhaps I was the first person who has ever had that experience. And, uh, you know, I, it is almost impossible to talk to people about because even our language is set up in uh, I did this, there's a subject-object relationship kind of thing. But when you talk about awareness, aware within awareness, there's no subject, no object. There's just kind of a oneness, uh, uh, kind of a Tao. And so uh, so the, the thing, though, that... that 
I found kind of interesting. In some regards, it reminded me a little bit of what you might call a near-death experience. So, so think of the classical near-death experience. Uh, the person's having a heart attack and blah, 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 and, and then all of a sudden they realize that, that they're coming to an end. And, and what happens normally at the beginning is basically they see light. You know, the, the, and so, so what I think is happening is that as the ego self begins to let go, as it deconstructs, it, it sees the inherent nature of things, which is light. And in fact, the Tibetan Buddhists uh, say that actually the dream yoga process is a process of preparing for the point of death. So at the point of death, you realize that that light, that, that aware light, is the fundamental essence of things. And so when grandma and grandpa appear and everybody, if you follow that path, you just go back into samsara, into another reincarnation or another incarnation and that and so so lucid dreaming in their view is a preparation for that moment of death that a person who has had enough experience in the lucid dream and the dream yoga philosophy will make the right choice and um and and will focus on the awareness and not the not the figures so so, so basically okay. it's an experience that that if, if you have it one time uh, probably one time is enough. <laughs> so okay, <laughs> that, that, that's how powerful it is. It, it's not something necessarily that has to be repeated. I mean, okay. it's kind of always there with you. There's always kind of this vacancy, this space there uh, after it happens. Have you had experiences with your deceased relatives or friends? I, I have. I've had that in regular dreams. I can't recall if I've ever had a, a lucid dream with uh, deceased relatives. Yeah, you know, um, in my first book, uh, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, uh, I have a whole chapter on interacting with the deceased dream figures in lucid dreams. Because for a lot of lucid dreamers, uh, they become lucidly aware when they see someone who's deceased. And and so they'll realize, oh, wait a second, grandma's been dead 10 years now. This must be a lucid dream. But, but the thing of it is, uh, just because you see a deceased dream figure, uh, you still, in many respects, don't know what you're dealing with. And so uh, here's what I mean. Um, uh, one time um, I'm having a dream. I see a ladder. And down the ladder comes my father, who had passed away three years earlier. And, and suddenly I become lucid because I remember he's, he's deceased. But as he comes down the ladder, uh, at first I laugh because he has such a bad haircut. And I think, oh, my gosh. Even in the after-death state, he can't get a good haircut. <laughs> and then it occurred to me, well, wait a second. Is, is this my father a spiritual being, or is this my father a projection of my own mind, a dream symbol? And, and so uh, we greeted each other, and so I, I decided to test, test the dream figure. I said, um, hey, Dad, uh, you're from the land of the dead. Uh, when do you think Mom's going to pass away? And, and he said, oh, uh, probably in two to six years. And I said, of what? And I think he said a heart condition, which really surprised me because my mom had never had any heart problems. And then I asked him a couple more questions, and he told me to be quiet after the third one. And he told me that he came to tell me things. And so he told me some things about the family and blah, blah, blah. And at the end, uh, I woke up and wrote it all down. Well, as it turned out, 23 months later, almost two years later, uh, my mom almost did pass away of a heart condition. And then a few years after that, she almost passed away of a heart condition again because she was taking a prescribed medication that they discovered was actually harming her heart. And so this would seem to suggest that, that sometimes in a lucid dream, not every time, but sometimes, a person might actually be interacting with the spiritual essence of somebody or the spiritual knowledge of, of somebody that exists after the death state. But, but that's the incredible thing about lucid dreaming. It allows us to explore and experiment with all this kind of stuff because in waking life uh, or in normal life in normal dreams, we have what we call visitation dreams, which are dreams with the deceased. And, and there's some incredible ones where people have gotten information, but in lucid dreams, uh, you can, actively seek out information that's outside of your own knowing. Uh, just like my father, my dream figure of my father, told me that my mom might die in two to six years. 
of a heart condition, you can get information outside of your own knowing and then uh, just rationally see if it if it comes to pass. And so, so, so that's the curious thing about lucid dreaming. It gives you a lot of uh, opportunity to explore. Okay, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Now, with my own experience, I, I, I I'm kind of little different and in regular dreaming i am very gullible i i deal with deceased relatives almost on a weekly basis and it has no effect on me i don't it doesn't trigger the lucid uh part of the dream but um and i'm not getting any future knowledge or anything like that but it's just kind of like oh well here's grandma and you know we're we're going shopping today you know it's it's just not and then i wake up and say well that was weird yeah, she's yeah. been dead for almost well, almost twelve years now, so it's I don't know it's uh... you, you know but you you can um, a person can use it as a dream sign uh, so if they tell themselves okay tonight in my dreams if I see anyone or anything that I know is deceased that'll make me stop and think this is a dream and I'll have a lucid conversation with them because you, you can use that as a dream sign but but you're right okay. if you have a lot of deceased relatives. Or if it becomes a common occurrence, then it becomes so common that you don't think about it. But if, if you make a point to tell yourself, hey, the next time I see someone deceased, I'm going to become lucid, then you can use it as a dream sign to prompt your awareness. But again, the, the important thing is not every deceased figure is the spiritual essence of a person. So, so like I remember after my father passed away, uh, I would have some dreams uh, our, our lucid dreams and and meet him uh, and it was always at the TWA gate at an airport and, and when I woke up I finally realized oh this is funny TWA stands for Trans World Airlines and, and so so I, I think my father there was just kind of a dream symbol that I was kind of getting used to him no longer being in the physical world that he was in Trans World he was you know in some in some other in some other world world. But so, so again, by conversing with the deceased dream figure and asking questions that are outside of your own knowing, then you might be able to uh, get information that shows you that you're interacting with uh, a likely deceased person. I, I know in, in one of my workshops, uh, there was a woman who uh, told me that in her family, they had a family secret. And she, she could tell there was a family secret, but no one would ever talk about it. And so one night, uh, her uncle appears, and she re- she becomes lucidly aware because her uncle's been dead for four or five years. And the uncle says to her, if you want to find out about the family secret, then go to the county courthouse, go up to this room, and ask for file, you know, AK-2732. And, and so the woman wakes up. She writes down the information. Uh, later that week, she goes to the county courthouse. She goes to that room. She asks for that file. The clerk brings the file, and the file is the family legal battle uh, years before the woman was born where they sold some family farmland, which really upset some of the relatives who didn't want it to be sold, and they had a court battle about it. And and so there, when you get information that's totally outside of your knowing, uh, that's presented by a deceased figure, a relative, a family member, it kind of really makes you wonder, you know, about the nature of the after-death experience. But in lucid dreaming, you can explore this for yourself and, uh, and, 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 you know, get your own personal evidence. Now, I have a question. Is, is lucid dreaming, I mean, that's kind of what we're calling it, but I like to ask people that study dreams, um, are, are we just really tapping into a different reality frame while we are kind of out of our physical body in a sense. And, you know, lucid dreaming is something that can actually awaken people to realize that they are more than their physical bodies and that you can interact in this other reality, but it is very real because with some of these examples that you're giving and there's evidence of these stories and people writing down this information and going, and there actually is a file that that sounds very real in that dream, as real as it is when we're in our waking state and having these experiences and going to work and, you know, seeing our family and friends. So, um, do you have a take or an idea on is the dream state really an actual real reality that is coexisting at the same time while we're in this physical body? You, you, you know, it, th- that's the kind of thing that lucid dreaming brings up because uh, 
in a lucid dream and when you interact with other lucid dreamers, you'll begin to see that there's certain rules and principles that apply to lucid dreamers everywhere. So instead of dreaming being chaos and random and just personal subjective stuff, when you interact with others and, and you see that, oh, they've learned the same rules, they see the same principles and all, you begin to see dreaming and lucid dreaming as, as a framework, as possibly another different reality, if, if you prefer. So uh, what's interesting is if in that framework we can get information that we can validate in this framework if nothing else, it seems to suggest that there's different levels of reality, that, that reality has different dimensions. There's obviously this physical waking reality that we're all involved in, but there might be other realities. And you'll read in modern physics that other people have brought up the same idea, and I believe in string theory, uh, they suggest that, well, there might be at least 11 different realities. And, and you'll have other modern physicists talking about, you know, probable realities and, and all sorts of things. So, so I think lucid dreaming allows us to kind of explore some of these ideas in modern physics and uh, show us that, that this waking physical reality is just fine and, and all, but there actually might be alternate frameworks um, if we know how to get there and, and get to them and explore them. And I think lucid dreaming shows us that, uh, especially when we become good at lucid dreaming. Now, I, I want to just go back to what you were talking about previously about getting information, like with the file. Have you gone in with a mission to find out information about something like that? Or does it just randomly happen to you? Oh, you know, that, that that's a good question. Um, uh, in, in my first book, Lucid Dreaming, Gateway to the Inner Self, where I have a chapter on this, uh, my friend uh, Ed Kellogg, who has a PhD in biochemistry from Duke and, and is a very uh, experienced and talented lucid dreamer, he, he decided to do that kind of thing. And so this is what he would do. Uh, he, he would have an acquaintance who had passed away, and then he would ask the family, how would you feel if in a lucid dream I tried to contact your deceased relative? And, and, and you know, normally... Normally, people are very interested and kind of want to want to know how they're doing, or at least they they would say okay to Ed. And and so what the interesting thing was, uh, Ed in lucid dreams would seek out the deceased relative. And I remember in one of the cases, there was a guy, the gentleman I think he's all dressed in white, who was there to take Ed to meet the deceased uh, acquaintance, and. And the trip the first time became so long that, that Ed lost his lucidity and woke up. But, but the second time he tried, the same guide was there and took him and finally took him to uh, where this person was. And the interesting thing that Ed discovered was that the deceased person would often be surrounded by things that were of interest to them in their life, you know, hobbies and and special things that held their interest. And, and also the deceased person, instead of being 70 or 80 or 90 like they were when they passed away, that they now were, you know, 30 or 40 or, or at some age where they were kind of at their personal peak or felt the best. And, and so what would happen is Ed would have a conversation with them. He would see all the things that they were surrounded by. And, and then he would uh, wake up and he would present his report of the lucid dream interaction to the family. And the, oftentimes the family would just start laughing when they would read it because they'd say, oh, you don't know this, but when he was 30, yeah, he, he had his hair uh, all in curls like a perm. You know, you, you only knew him when he was bald, but, but yeah, when he was in his 30s, he looked like that. Or, oh, yeah, he always used to wear dark sunglasses, and you never knew that. And, and Ed would show, you know, things that he had seen, and they would say that, oh, yeah, those were hobbies that the deceased person had. And so so you can see how lucid dreamers, uh, you could even do scientific experiments like this where you had lucid dreamers uh, go in search of deceased people, learn information about them that's outside of their own knowing, wake up and present it to the scientists, and then the scientists could confirm it with the family whether it was valid or not. And so, so in all of this, uh, I always encourage people, 
whether it's trying to get information out of space and time or trying to get information from deceased, you have to do it in a very rational, thoughtful way. But if you do, I, I think you'll see that there's something there, that there's something valid there that they can work with. I want to ask also, too, about your history. You know, you started out, at, you said high school, you started having lucid dreams, is that right? Right, right. What, did you have a fairly... I'm using air quotes, but like normal life <laughs> uh, before yeah. it became the author and speaker. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, um, my very first lucid dream was when I was like 10 or 11 years old. Um, uh, I found myself in my public library, uh, and all of a sudden, a little dinosaur walked by, a little Tyrannosaurus Rex. And, and even at 10 or 11, I realized, wait a second, dinosaurs don't exist. And then I thought, oh, this must be a dream. And I became lucidly aware for a moment, but then I decided to wake up. So, so I, I'd actually, my first lucid dream was like when I was 10 or 11, but when I got into high school and began used, to use this Castaneda technique, that's when I began to induce them. But, but the interesting thing, I, I was doing this before the scientific evidence emerged. So the, the first scientific evidence I saw was uh, in an article in January 1981 in Psychology Today when Stephen LeBurge had an article about how he validated becoming lucidly aware in the dream state. And so I had six years all by myself. You know, there's no internet back then. There's hardly any books that even mentioned lucid dreaming. And so I really had to explore it myself. But, but for me, uh, my history, the, the great thing for me, uh, I grew up in a large family. There were six of us kids. Um, I was the fifth of five boys, and then my little sister came along. But the great thing about being number five out of six is you, you get to observe a lot. You, you just, you observe, you know, your brothers growing up and the things they deal with. You observe your parents because your parents are so busy dealing with everything. And, and you, you just have a kind of an observational mind. And so when I got to college, uh, you know, I got a degree in psychology. I had a deep interest in psychology, but uh, I was planning to go on and get a doctorate in psychotherapy. But uh, at the time, uh, the family business needed a little bit of help. And so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll go help them out for a couple years. And uh, and I ended up working in the family business for 26 or 27 years until I started to write this book And because I, I had such deep interest in lucid dreaming. So, so yeah, and, you know, I'm an Eagle Scout. You know, I graduated summa cum laude from college. You know, I'm a pretty – my history is pretty, you know, you know middle America kind of basic. So uh, – and that's nice because I think if you if you've had a troubled history though, in a lucid dream in the lucid dream state you'll have to work through the troubles and the issues. I mean, all of us have to. I mean, you know, I had to work through my issues, my fears, my beliefs, my limitations within the lucid dream state to keep progressing along the path. And uh, but but I think it helps to be start out with a fairly normal history because then it just makes it all the easier. What is uh. What do you think the point of having access to a lucid dream is about? Why do you think we have the awake time and then we have the dream time? What do you think? There's a purpose to that, or it's just this is just how it is? Or oh, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I, when I was giving talks out in uh, London, um, I met another author, uh, Sergio Mayana, and he's written books like The Dawn of the Sixth Sun. And so he uh, says that he's the uh, um, teacher of the Mezteca Toltec tradition in, in Mexico, Central America, the, the kind of tradition that uh, Don Juan of Carlos Castaneda fame said he was connected to. But, but he, he says he's the confirmed uh, allowed person to explain lucid dreaming and all from their perspective, their ancient perspective. And he says, from their perspective, um, you know, we can all remember how uh, the Mayan calendar ended on December 21st, 2012. And he said, so for them, a new calendar has begun, a new time has begun, which they call the dawn of the sixth sun. And he says that in their view of the world, if we made it to, to the end of 2012 without blowing up ourselves and, and causing total mayhem, that this sixth sun would emerge, which was the period where lucid dreaming would show people that there's more to life 
than this waking physical reality. And in their viewpoint, this six sun period, this 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 dawning, which occurs, I think, until 2021, if if people will come to understand lucid dreaming and its powerful nature to show us that there's more going on here than, than just these ego selves and this ego reality, you know, making money, living for 70 years, passing away and all. If if lucid dreaming will show people that there's more, that then will enter a new realm where people will understand more properly the nature of consciousness. Because even this idea of this awareness behind the dream, when I'm lucidly aware and asked to experience concepts and interact with this awareness behind the dream, it shows, like Carl Jung said, that if somebody could show a second psychic system, this would be of absolutely revolutionary significance because it would show that there's more than the ego self. There's more than this waking self. That the unconscious isn't just chaos. It's just not mush. It's not the refuse, the throwaway, the garbage of the conscious ego self. It's, it has its own awareness. And that's what I think lucid dreaming is showing us. We have this awareness behind the dream. There's more going on here. We can get information out of time and space. We can get information about concepts that modern physicists are exploring. And so I think what we're really getting to is Einstein brought us to the point where matter and energy were shown to be one. They're fundamentally one. But I think we're getting to the point now with lucid dreaming that is, lucid dreaming is going to show us that matter and energy and consciousness are fundamentally one. And, and once we get to that level of understanding, I think we'll enter a new era of exploration and, and a new level of consciousness uh, for everybody. So, so I think this access to lucid dreaming has a deeper, a deeper import. And and uh, you know, even though most people just use it for fun and and thrills, you know, if it was thought of and viewed properly, it would show us a new paradigm, a, a new way of of viewing uh, waking reality. Great. Now, I know that you were the past president of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? And also, what are you doing now? Yeah, so, uh, so, so there's a wonderful organization, the International Association for the Study of Dreams. It has about 650 members. About a third of them are academicians or professors and researchers. About a third are therapists who use dreams and lucid dreams. In their therapeutic practice. And about a third are people who just have a deep interest in dreaming and lucid dreaming. So, so it's a wonderful organization. It publishes uh, the scientific referee journal, uh, Dreaming. And of course, all of my comments are just my own personal viewpoints, uh, because the International Association for the Study of Dreams is just interested in the scientific exploration and experimentation and and uh, exploration of, of, of dreaming. So uh, so what I'm doing now, uh, you know, I go around and give talks. Uh, last month, um, I gave talks at Evergreen State College in Olympia, University of Washington, Bothell. I gave talks at the University of Tel Aviv in Israel and also Hebrew University in Jerusalem. And what I'm really trying to get across is helping people conceptually expand their thoughts about lucid dreaming. Because sure, you can fly around and do all sorts of fun things, but you can also access creativity. You can interact with the awareness behind the dream. You can use it for psychological and emotional healing. You can use it, I think, even for physical healing. And you can use it for spiritual practices like meditating in a lucid dream or interacting with divine ideas and spiritual ideas in the lucid dream state. So uh, I intend to write a third book, uh, which will be a book more about the spiritual aspects of lucid dreaming. But I wanted to have this book, Lucid Dreaming, Plain and Simple, just to help beginners. Because over the course of 40 years, you learn a lot about lucid dreaming. And my co-author, Caroline McCready, and I just wanted to make it easy for beginners to get into lucid dreaming, to understand the scientific basis of it, and also to see how beautiful you it is and how you can use it to explore and to uh, move further along the path. Yeah, well, we'd definitely love to have you back on once that new book comes out, and we can talk more about that specifically. Um, would you also like to let people know where they can get a hold of you if they'd like to contact you to bring you aboard for a speaking engagement or a conference? 
Sure. Um, you can always go to my book's website, lucidadvice.com. Uh, there I have a contact form where people can contact me about this kind of event. And, and also there, there's a question uh, place where people can ask lucid dream questions or questions about their own lucid dreams. Also, we have a, a magazine, a free online magazine that comes out quarterly called The Lucid Dreaming Experience, which you can find at luciddreammagazine.com. And I, I'm sure when somebody listens to this, they're going to they're gonna email us and say, why didn't you ask this? And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, 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 we could probably go another couple shows with just, you know, it's, just, it's so amazing. I mean, some of these topics like psychological healing or physical healing, I mean, you could literally spend hours on a podcast, but, but if nothing else, this will give people an idea of some of the potential of lucid dreaming. And, and I really appreciate your time, Mike and April. It's uh, been a lot of fun. If you'd like more information about our films or to purchase our DVDs, you can head on over to our website at thepastseries.com. They're also available to purchase on amazon.com. Our films are also streaming online at vimeo.com, guyamtv.com, and iTunes. If you have a show suggestion or would like us to interview someone specifically, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at thepastseries.com or send us a tweet at thepastseries. Please rate and review us in iTunes and subscribe. We hope you enjoyed the show.